0: Um, bring greetings from uh, Christchurch, Birmingham. Uh, me, my wife, uh, and our two little ones. We moved to that city about four months ago or so, uh, and we just felt that God was asking us to do that. Um, to give you a little bit of a background, um, we come from India originally and moved to the UK about six and a half years ago or so, and went to London. And we were there only for a, for a year and a half, thinking that okay. After this, we are going to pack our bags and go back to India and see what God does uh, back in India. But then as we were thinking of packing our bags and everything, um, God spoke to us very clearly to be part of the church planting team uh, for central London, where Trinity Church London was planted in 2018. And so we became part of that. And as soon as that happened, God started laying Birmingham on our hearts. And I was saying, no, come on, you are making this up in your head We've just moved from one place to another to plant in central London. You can't be. God, seriously, are you, are you, are you serious? I mean, are you sending us to Birmingham like, like now? But then what God was doing was he was preparing our hearts for what was to come in the years. And today I can stand over here and say that God is faithful. And he is good. And he has built those connections. He has got us moving from London to Birmingham, and now we are there with a desire for the city, uh, with, with a vision to see uh, a church planted in every ward of Birmingham, which is about 69. So first one is called Christ Church Birmingham. I know the vision is, is big, and that is what we need it to be, because we don't want just plans and strategies to, be, to say that, okay, here's the vision, here are the plans and strategies. No, we need God in this. Without God, it's not possible. Amen? So, with that, um, I want to share a story about the grace of God. And just to let you know, I mean, I was not always like this. Not talking about church planting or the kingdom of God or anything of that sort. I had nothing to do with this. But it is sheer grace of God that I'm able to do this today. And I just want to share a story from the Bible as well. I will share my story as I've been asked. Thank you very much. Um, I will share my story, but I'll share, uh, base it on the story of the grace of God on the Bible as well. So if you have got a Bible, turn with me to Second Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. This is a story about about a man who is known as the man after God's own heart, King David. You would have read many stories about him. You would have heard many uh, or sung many songs in Sunday school. King David, the man after God's own heart. Another character of our story is Mephibosheth. Say with me, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. He is Jonathan's son. And Jonathan and David... We're really good friends, covenant friends. I'm just giving you a little bit of background. We're really good friends. But Jonathan's dad, Saul, was David's enemy. So in that sense, Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, becomes a natural enemy to David. So that's the second character. The first character is King David. The second character is Mephibosheth. And there are others like like the servant Ziba. And Mephibosheth's son, Micah, whom we will come across and we'll look into. But for now, let's read from 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 onwards. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness from, for, for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Emiel at Lodibah. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machia, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and all to his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands, his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house Became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. For he ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Amen. There is a lot going on in this story. I mean the whole Bible is in that sense gold. But there are some stories that you come across and say wow. This is amazing. If you can get hold of every single thing from that story, that would be marvelous. For now, we might not have time, but at least we can look at three very simple things. Number one, we will look at Mephibosheth's condition and in turn, look at our condition. We will look at his crippleness and in one sense, look at our crippleness without Jesus. The Number two is we, we will look at David's intervention and in turn, we will look at God's intervention into Mephibosheth's life. And number three, we will look at his reaction, his response, and in turn, our response to the grace of God that we have been singing about all morning. And I absolutely loved doing that with you, loved worshiping Jesus with you this morning. Thank you very much once again for leading us into the throne room of Jesus. So the first one, the condition of our lives. The name Mephibosheth means a shameful thing. In fact, in another book of the Bible, it says his name was Merib Baal, which means resistor of Baal. Baal was one of the idols which was worshipped. And his name Merib Baal meant resistor of Baal, the one who resisted Baal. And right now, he's being called as Mephibosheth. What happened in his life that he moved from being called to resistor of Baal to a shameful thing? What exactly happened in his life? This is what the Bible says. This is what happened. A fall. So if you read a few chapters earlier in 2 Samuel 4, there is an account where it says, how did he become crippled? This is what it says. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who's, who was lame in both feet. And here is how he became lame. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from, from Jezreel. So basically, Jonathan and Saul, they were dead in a battle in Jezreel, and the news came. And when that came, his nurse, Mephibosheth's nurse, picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, Mephibosheth fell and he became crippled. And it was this fall that made him crippled and utterly dependent for the rest of his life. There is another fall that the Bible talks about. The fall of mankind. You know, the the time when Adam and Eve were created, God made them in love. And he said, you are one with me. You are physically connected and you are spiritually connected. So there was this physical connection and, and spiritual connection with God. God said, stay in my love, stay in my obedience, and you will stay in this place of love and connection. But we know what happened. Adam and Eve, they fell, they sinned. And they moved away from that place of being dependent on God, reliable on, relying on God. And they were, even though physically they were alive, but spiritually they became dead. They went far away from Him. And this is known as the fall. And because of Adam and Eve, every single human born on the face of the earth is born with that bent, which is away from God, which takes us Away from God. And it's one thing to be separated from God spiritually, but it's another thing altogether to be at enmity with God, to be enemies with God. You know what Paul says in Ephesians? He says, You and me, as for you and me, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we were ruled by the rulers of the air. But God, but God, in grace and mercy, He made us one with Christ. Even when we were dead in our sins he made us alive in Christ because while we were still sinners Christ died for us so even though we were at enmity with God God wasn't our enemy he was seeking to bless us and that is exactly what is happening in this story as well even though mephibosheth he thought he is a natural enemy of David because of being Saul's grandson but David was not His enemy, David, was seeking to bless Mephibosheth. You see the correspondence between our situation and Mephibosheth's situation without Jesus? Do you see that? There is another striking similarity between us and Mephibosheth. His place of stay. He, He lived in a place called Lodibah. Now I was looking at the meaning of Lodibah. Lodibah means a place of no bread. A place of no bread. He was far away from the king. He was far away from Jerusalem, which was the place of worship, which was, the, which was the place of peace and reconciliation. He was far away from from God. He lived in this place of no bread. I don't know about you, but when I hear when I read this story, when I hear about Mephibosheth, I am reminded about my situation as well. So my name. AJ stands for Abdullah Jamal. And I come from a very loving Muslim family. I was raised in a Muslim family. And and just like in any practicing Muslim household, um, I was raised with this idea that there is only one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And just like Muhammad, Jesus also is just a prophet. He's not the son of God, he did not die on the cross for our sins. And, and I was very happy with my belief just because it was all about me and my good works. Because I was told that there is this bag of blessing that you need to fill. Accumulate more and more blessings so that when you eventually go back to your maker, your good works and your bad works are going to be weighed. And the idea is that good is supposed to be outweighing the bad. And so you do keep doing more and more and, more. and when you do that, it basically, what, what it does is it feeds onto your pride and on your ego. I have done my prayers five times a day. Well done. I've done my namazes. I've done my fasting. I have done what was required of me. Well done. I'm filling this bag, accumulating this bag of blessings more and more and more. And one day I'm going to meet my maker and I'll go into heaven. Except there was only one problem. There was only one problem. One day I was sitting with my Arabic teacher who came to teach me Quran and with my younger brothers. And I asked him, all this accumulation is great. But what about my wrongs? What is Allah going to do with my wrongs? I asked him. And he said in a a loving way at that point of time, he said, Oh Abdullah, don't worry about your wrongs because Allah is merciful. He will forgive you. And somehow that answer didn't satisfy because, first, because of the grace of God, he didn't want me to be satisfied with that answer. Secondly, it didn't make much sense to me because I kept asking on the basis of what? On the basis of what is he going to forgive me? Is the basis me going and asking forgiveness? Because if that is the basis, it's not going to work. Because here I'm asking forgiveness and here I'm going and doing the wrong thing again. Here I'm asking forgiveness, and here I'm doing the wrong thing again. And I'm thinking, this can't be the basis. The basis has to come completely outside of myself. It has to be someone else. It has to be something else. And at that point of time, you keep asking these questions, and you keep them inside, because you don't want to talk about about this to others. What if somebody says... What are are those wrongs, by the way, when you're talking about wrongs? (laughs) So I didn't want to talk to anybody about it except my Arabic teacher. So I didn't talk about this to anyone. But inwardly, there was this question. There was this insecurity. Oh, what about my wrongs? What is my maker going to do with those wrongs that are going to be there in that balance? Anyway, as time went by, I grew more and more stronger in my faith, as you do, because you're doing this not alone but together in the community there are are other Muslims around you and I'm going more and more stronger in, in the faith and I'm thinking, okay, great, this is going good. But inwardly there is this question, what about my wrongs? And as time goes by, I meet a girl in school. She comes from a Christian background. And we both get friends and we carry on. And about 14 years of courtship in, we say that, okay, you know what, let's take this forward. Let's get married to each other. And that was my wife. That is, that is my wife, Nam, who is in Birmingham right now, worshipping Jesus at this point with our two little ones. And we we thought, okay, we'll get married. And there was this pact between the two of us. He said, You follow yours, I'll follow mine, but the children will be Muslims. That was the pact very clear. You follow yours, I'll follow mine. And she was okay with it. And just a couple of months ago, God has his own ways of getting humor in the situation. Just a couple of months before we were supposed to get married. After 14 years of courtship, and then a couple of months before we were supposed to get married, God gets hold of her. She sees Jesus in a way that she has not seen before. And she is just gripped with this idea that, oh my days, what is this that I'm doing? What is this that I'm doing? I'm getting married to a Muslim man. Whereas now I can see, I can read in the Bible, that hey, do not be unequally yoked. But in that point of t- at that point of time, he said, we've been in a long relationship. It was just a matter of a, on signing a piece of paper. And we said, you know what? In our hearts, in our minds, we are married already. Being together for that long time. We took the step and she trusted God. And I said, you know what? One day, she will embrace Islam and that will be my doorway to heaven. She will look at my life. She will look at the way I'm, I'm living this life, the way I'm following Islam. She will embrace it and that will be my doorway into heaven. Anyway, we got married and after marriage, um, after, I mean, living together is a complete different thing. Uh, ask me after the, after the uh, service. Be, <laughs> there are some fun things that I will tell you what exactly happened. How was it different to the courtship? And living together. Anyway, um, so we started living together. And after, uh, at that point of time, she said, you know what? I would like to go to a church. And I said, I want to be a good husband. Look for a church for her. And we went to a church a- in the new city. And the pastor said over there after the service, hey, very nice to meet you. Da 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 You know what? Next Sunday, we are not meeting here. We are going for a conference. And uh, would you guys like to join? And I said, wow, Christian conference. Well, what do I do? What do I do? I said, you know what? Sign us up. Sign us in. I had two reasons in my mind to sign us up. One, I don't want to be coming to this Sunday morning every single Sunday. I want to just see that these people are safe enough for my wife to come every single Sunday. Number two, let's go and have fun with these guys. Let's ask them those difficult questions of, Why do you believe in three different gods? What is this that you say that Jesus died on the cross? I mean, something that happened 2,000 years ago. How can that make any sense to your life right now? So let's go ask these difficult questions to them. So we went ahead for the conference, and there was a three-day conference. There were great things on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There was this session on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And the moment I heard the name of the session, I was like, whoa, whoa, this is way out of my league. You believe in this Holy Spirit and everything. You go ahead. I'm going to go back to the room and I'll see you in, in, in an hour. Anyway, Nam went ahead and uh, she, um, she was there. And after an hour or so, I came back and I saw people laying hands on each other and praying for one another. And I'm standing over there with my hands in my pocket thinking, what's wrong with these guys? What a weird bunch. And I'm thinking... Who follows a religion like that? I mean, what are you praying for? And in in those thought processes, there was this lady who came to me, and she said, "Um, can we pray for you? I said, no. I don't need your prayers. I'm all right. My name is Abdullah Jamal. I was wearing a name tag. My name is Abdullah Jamal. I'm a Muslim. I don't need your prayers. And what what would you pray anyway? Oh, we'll just pray that God will open your eyes. I said, whoa. It's not me. It's you guys who need opening of eyes. You believe in three different gods and all of that. I said, fine, go ahead, pray. Let's see what happens. Then you will pray. Nothing will happen. And in that sense, I would have preached Islam to these guys. I said, go ahead, pray. And I started praying, very simple prayers. God, come and meet with him. God, come and touch him. Holy Spirit, come. Very simple prayers. And in that moment, what happened was, my eyes were shut. And I started with sobbing. And I started crying and then weeping. And I had no idea what was going on. I said, why are you creating a scene over here, Abdullah? Stop. And the more I tried to stop myself, the heavily I cried. It didn't make any sense to me. I mean, now I say that it was the power of God. It was the Holy Spirit who came. But at that point of time, I'm saying, stop. What's, what's wrong with you? Heavily, I'm crying. And in that, it's a sort of a presentation screen, something like this came in front of me. My eyes were shut. And the wrongs that I had done in my life started coming up one by one like a PowerPoint presentation. Abdullah, this is the wrong that you have done. And I'm going to throw this wrong into trash. Abdullah, this is the wrong that you have done. And I'm going to separate this wrong from you as far as east is from the west. Now I know that that is Psalm 103. But at that point of time, I'm thinking, what? I'm going to separate this wrong from you forever. And I'm standing over there thinking, who are you who's showing me all these things? Coming up with my list of things that I've done. I've done my prayers. I've done this. I've done that. I've done all of these things. But I've never felt anything of this sort before. Who are you who's showing me all these things? And in that moment, brothers and sisters, I heard this voice so clear in my heart, in my own language, Urdu. Mehu Isa, which means I am Jesus. And that was praise God, yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Trust me, guys, I was, I was, I was running far, far away from him. I wanted nothing to do with Christianity, but it was just the grace of God. It was just the love of Jesus that got hold of me and brought me in. It was the grace of God. He intervened into my life. And and by his grace and mercy today, I stand here with you saying that God is good. God is good. If you are sitting over here today thinking, really, is this, is this Christianity? Is, does this Jesus make any sense? He does. He does. If there is any point to give, his, to give your life to Him, this is the point. This is the day. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. And this is how God got hold. Of my life. This is how God intervened. And this very beautifully takes us to the next point. (laughs) God's intervention into our lives. This is how David intervened. Into Mephibosheth's life. So when God intervenes. And calls out your name. There is nothing much that you can do. Apart from saying yes. We've seen that in in the forefathers. uh, In the stories of the Bible. We've seen how Adam... uh, How Abraham was called. Abraham, leave your country and your people and go to the land I will show you. Abraham said, Yes, Lord. And he went. God got hold of Moses. Go and save my people. And then he went. In the New Testament, was it Andrew and John who were fishing? And he said, Jesus said, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The Bible says they left their nets immediately and they followed him Saul who became Paul God got hold of him and his life changed forever our friend mephibosheth his life was about to change when he was summoned by the king but to be honest he was filled with fear wasn't he like oh my days this is my last sunday roast let me just make the most of this after this i mean i'm going to be executed i'm i'm the king has called me david has called me i'm going to be executed let me just enjoy this And that's it. But when he goes into the presence of the king, he he falls down. King, he pays homage. The king said, Hey, do not fear. Do not fear. I want to show you kindness, God's kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan. For the sake of your father, Jonathan. We are shown kindness. We are shown this grace because of what Jesus. Has done for us on the cross. Because of what he. Has done for us on the cross. One amazing thing about this. Is that this brings acceptance. And this brings communion. This grace. That we are talking about. This brings acceptance and communion. Mephibosheth was accepted. By David. We are accepted. By God. Because of what Jesus has done. He says. My word. I have spoken over you and that word has made you clean. He said this for the disciples. Here's the point. Mephibosheth was probably not even born when there was a covenant made between David and Jonathan. Jonathan said, I know that you will become a great king. I know that God has spoken that. You will become a great king and there won't be any any more enemies of yours. But even at that point, look after my family. And David was reminded of that. And he took hold of Mephibosheth. And because of Jonathan's sake, he was shown kindness. What does Ephesians say? Paul writes to the Ephesians. He says, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. When I read this, I was telling Finn as well, when I read this, I go bonkers. I mean, before the foundations of the world, before any thought of our existence existed, God chose us in Him. That is a massive cause for worship. That is a massive cause for worship. He knew that I would be born in a family which would put their fingers into their ears whenever they hear the name Jesus and he dying on the cross. He knew that I would be born in a family where I would bow down to a stone which is supposedly fallen from heaven five times a day. He knew that I would stray away from every idea of God. But still he chose me. He chose you. He chose us together as his people. That is a massive cause for worship. And this brings communion. So that brings grace brings acceptance and grace brings communion. Mephibosheth ate regularly at the king's table like one of the king's sons. In case we have missed it, it's mentioned four times in this little passage. Verse 7, 10, 11, 13. That Mephibosheth ate at the king's table. And somebody said it so beautifully. They said when he sat at the royal table of King David, His lameness was covered. His lameness was covered. You and me, on our own, can strive for this right relatedness with God. Can strive for for this righteousness with God. But in Jesus, our lameness is covered. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus has done this. Jesus has done this. I mean, my job here is not to give you some theological sort of foundations. I mean, the elders are here to give you that. But make you fall in love with Jesus again and again and again. And when we see all of this, there's one thing that comes out from us. Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to love you. Thank you. I want to remain in you, abide in you and then all over again how should we respond to this mephibosheth said what is a dead dog like me that you have had this mercy on me but we can respond in worship we can come to the father in the name of jesus and say lord you are worthy you are worthy of all our praises and worship can we respond in worship please is that okay is that all right? Yeah, let me just pray, finish, and respond in worship. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for what you have done in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for every story that is present in this room, Lord. For every heart and mind and body, Lord Jesus, that has turned away from darkness and into your marvelous light. Lord Jesus, you are the light and you are the life in us. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for what you have done in reconciling us back to the Father and making us one with you. Lord Jesus, we love you. and We will be with you, Lord. In Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship Jesus.